1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. Uh, we had a lot of extra things we did today that I wasn't planning on. Uh, my own fault on that. But uh, that means I, you get to have a truncated sermon. So I'm not going to be preaching my full sermon today. I'm going to preach point one. And uh, the next three points will be next week. So keep your outline. But uh, we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 actually today. A number of years ago I had a man call me that... Uh, it doesn't go to our church or anything. Most of you know, hardly anybody know him, but um, he knew me from another context. And he said, I have a relative who uh, just left me a half a million dollars, and I don't even hardly know this relative. Pretty good day, huh? And uh, so, but he wanted, he, now he has options. What's he going to do with that money? You know, he wanted to talk to me about some of those kind of things. And, and uh, as, as we talked about that, obviously his life's going to change to some degree, isn't it? If, if you were left a million dollars, two million dollars, whatever, a whole bunch of money, uh, wouldn't that change your life? Wouldn't it change the way you think, the way you act, the way your attitude, your options in life? I think it probably would in most cases in our life. This is just a fact of life. You see, the way we see ourselves will largely determine how we behave, how we think, our attitudes, and so forth. So knowing that to be true, the writers of the New Testament are constantly telling us who we are in Christ. Uh, they're always harping about our spiritual identity. You'll find it all the way through the New Testament. Harping about our identity. Who, who are you as a Christian? Who are you in Jesus Christ? The thought seems to be that if we know who we are, then we'll be able to live out our identity in a much better way. On the other hand, if we don't know who we are, we will inevitably fall short of what God wants us to do and be. And our privileges in Christ will be misunderstood. So we preachers, such as myself, we spend a lot of time telling people how they ought to behave and how they ought to think and how they ought to do this, that, or the other, and we should. We're, we're mandated to preach the Word of God, to preach the truth of God, to apply the Word of God to the lives of people. But I also uh, am concerned at times that some, some of us go home feeling more guilty than encouraged, uh, that we go home frustrated, saying, I'd like to live that way, I want to live that way. I want to do the things that were found in the scriptures this morning, but, but I find myself falling helplessly to the sidelines and not being able to do the things that I know that I should do. Uh, what is the answer to that? What is the biblical answer to those kinds of frustration? Well, there's a lot of them, and the whole New Testament is full of them. That's why we preach word for word, verse by verse through the New Testament. But the beginning ground, the foundation uh, built upon Jesus Christ, is knowing who you are. Uh, if you know who you are in Christ, uh, then you begin the process of living out the life God wants you to live. If you don't know who you are, then you'll never be able to live in that way. So that's where we are today. Paul is dealing with a very immature, baby, babyish church at Corinth. They've been around about six years. Uh, God has th thrown at them the best of the preachers and the best opportunities anybody could possibly have. And yet six years later, they're in worse shape than they were probably in the second year of their existence. They have not moved forward. They have not grown in the things of Christ. They're still spiritual babies. And they're living like spiritual babies. And that's why he writes the book, to deal with this, this babyhood in their lives. And the problem is, you know, if you, once you develop a bad habit, you continue down that road, don't you? Once these things become ingrained in us that are, are wrong, wrong things to do, we just keep right on doing them, and it becomes normal for us. And that's what is happening at Corinth. This, this childishness, this fleshliness that was in them had become normality for them. It was a normal way to live, and they just accepted it as such. God didn't. And Paul, as his apostle, 
did not. So what is the solution to the problem of immaturity? He's going to say a lot of things in these 16 chapters, but he's going to start here at this point with the identity in Christ. Who are they in Jesus Christ? They need to know that. Paul's going to give them four answers to that. Uh, answers three, 2, 3, and 4 will be next week. Uh, but this week, and the most central one, the most important one, I'm sure, is that you, you are, if you're a Christian, you are the temple of God. You are the temple of God. Look at verse 16. Look at the statement. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? In this context, he is not talking about individual Christians. He's talking about the church. I want to show you that. Go over a couple chapters. Chapter 16. And look at verse 19. Probably the better known verse starts the same way. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. That verse of scripture, those two verses, is talking about you, you as an individual. You are as an individual, you are the temple of God. God lives in you. But back in chapter 3, where we're at right now, and if you've been following along in a context, or just go back and study it yourself, you'll see he's not talking about individuals. He's talking about the church itself, the local church. And he says the local church is the temple of God. He says, do you not know that? Do you not know that the church of Christ is the temple of God? In the Greek, there's two different words for temple. This is the word for sanctuary. Uh, and the sanctuary is reflective of the Old Testament sanctuary. Remember that? The, the, the tabernacle was really a small structure. The temple became enormous, especially Herod's temple. But the tabernacle was really quite small. There was an outer court where some sacrifices were made. There was a holy place. And then there was a holy of holies. That's what we usually call it. And in the Holy of Holies, that was the sanctuary. That's where the what, what theologians call the manifest presence of God dwelt. Now, we know that God, uh, as, as the Old Testament tells us, is so big and so, so great that the whole heavens cannot contain Him, right? But He chose to make Himself known in a very special way at this manifest presence, or what the Jews called the Shekinah glory, uh, and what the Old Testament shows us as a cloud, the glory cloud, in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle and later in the temple. And that's what he's talking about when he talks about the sanctuary here. In the Old Testament, God's presence in a very special way was in the sanctuary. He didn't really live there in that sense, but, but he was evident there. He's manifested there. And that was called the sanctuary because the sanctuary is where God dwells in that sense. Now you'll notice here if you're a member of Southern View Chapel or been around very long that we hardly ever, never intentionally say that this building is the house of God. This is not the house of God. That's no testament teaching. This building is dedicated to God. This building is, is, is dedicated to the service of God, but it's not the house of God. God does not live here. This room, we never say, or try never to say, this room is a sanctuary. Uh, we call it the worship center usually, but it's not a sanctuary because God doesn't live in this room any more than He lives anywhere else in this building. 
Uh, the sanctuary is set apart for him, the worship center, but it's not a sanctuary in that sense. I've never come in here and seen the glory cloud or smoke pouring out of this room, except for once when Edwin got a smoke machine and, and all we were left with was a stain on the carpet, but nevertheless, that, that was something totally different. And we don't, uh, the, God does not live here. I remember one little kid who comes, you know, about five years old, and the only times he ever saw me was here, and he thought I lived here. You know, I, I, you, do you live here? You leave this place? You know, yes, I do. This is not, this is a dedicated space for God. It is not the sanctuary. It is not the house of God. Okay, so what is the sanctuary? of God, it is the people of God, the church, the local church of God that comes together. We bring with us the temple, the, the, the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in us individually. We come together as a corporate body, and this, the church then is the house of God. Let's not go back to the shadows. I think that's a major mistake when we go back to the shadows and try to incorporate the Old Testament system into the New Testament church. This is not the house of God. This is not a sanctuary. Something far better has come. Scripture says those things were shadows of that which was to come. And now the reality has come. The reality is this church, every local church that is faithful to God, is the temple of God and should be treated in that way and understood in that way. Now let's look a little closer at the description of this tabernacle. Do you not know that you're the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Let's start with this phrase, do you not know? Ten times, now you that really love Bible study would like this, ten times in the book of 1 Corinthians, do you not know? That, that uh, uh, rhetoric, rhetorical device is used. Ten times. And only one other time in the rest of the New Testament, and that is found in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. This is a specialized term for the Corinthians. What was their problem? The same problem that many of us have. We do not know the privileges we have in Christ. We do not know the, the splendor of Christ. We do not know the blessings of Christ. If we don't know those things, then we don't live as God wants us to live. Do you not know? Ten different times. This is the first of them. As he begins to talk about that, do you not know that you are the sanctuary of God? As if you're trying to get a handle on sanctuary, think about uh, some things that are more common. Uh, wildlife sanctuaries, bird sanctuaries. Why do we call a bird sanctuary a bird sanctuary? Because that's where birds go. right? That's where birds dwell. Not that birds aren't other places, but there is a place set aside for them. And so the sanctuary here is a sanctuary of God, a special place where God resides. That's, that's the idea here. Why is the local church considered the temple of God? Because it's composed of all those that come, all that are part of it, who are also the temple of God. It's an overlapping reality. We are the temple of God as His people individually, and as a church we are the temple of God and so in chapter 6, verse 19, go back there just one second again. We'll look at this in detail later. But notice the application. Can we apply this? The application of the fact that you are individually, as a Christian, the temple of God, is this. He says in verse 19, whom you have, that you're not your own. Well, let me read it. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, 
whom you have from God and that you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, notice the application. If you realize that you are the temple of God, and they didn't, apparently, if you, if you know that, then, then you'll realize you are not your own. You do not belong to yourself. You belong to whom? You belong to God. You're His. And because you're His, and, and you're His because you've been bought by Him. You've been redeemed by Him with the price of the blood of Christ. Therefore, what should you do? Well, glorify God in your body. Notice he says body. I'm going to have a fun time when I get to this passage. Uh, I've already had fun. But look at this. this. This is not just a spiritual entity. This is a body entity. What are you doing with your body to glorify God? Well, we'll let you get, think about that. I'll talk about it more. Let's go back to our other passage in chapter 3. But what's the application here? It's, it's different. Do you not know, verse 16, that you're the temple of God, the Spirit of God dwells in you? What is the, what is the application here? Verse 10. The context is verse 10. According to the, the grace of God which is given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Another is building on it. But let each man must be careful how he builds on it. Talking about the church. The application here is, is what are you contributing to the body of Christ? How are you building the body of Christ? You be careful. Because this is God's temple. How you build upon it, he says. And that leads us straight into the next point, and that is the danger present. Once you know you are the temple of God, he's talking about the church now. Once you realize that the church is the holy temple of God, there is a danger That is mentioned in verse 17. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Now Paul warns then about uh, harming the church. The word destroy here is not annihilate. The word destroy here means uh, to mar or to spoil. So he's not talking about destruction. Jesus promised that his church will stand to the gate of hell's march against it. Right? Nothing is going, going to take down the church of Christ. But at the same time, as, is, even as he says that, he is saying it can be spoilt, it can be marred, it can be polluted by Christians. He's not, I really want you to notice, notice here, he's not talking about persecution from the outside. He's, he's talking to the church at Corinth. He's not, you know, we, we know today that in some Muslim countries that the, some Muslims are destroying churches and martyring Christians. We know the same thing in communistic countries. Around the world, people are dying for the cause of Christ. We know that. It's, got, it's been from the beginning, and Christ warned that would happen in, in uh, Matthew chapter 5. But this is not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the outsiders. He's talking about the insiders. And he's saying, if you as a Christian... Mar or spoil the temple of God, watch out, because look, God will destroy him. This is active. This is not a passive, indirect thing. This is an active movement of God. God will destroy him. God will mar him. God will spoil him. One of the evidences of the fleshliness of this church are some of the evidences we've already seen jealousy, envy, strife, division, all sorts of other things in this thing. And he's saying that attitude, those actions, those behaviors uh, 
are spoiling, are marring the testimony of the church of Christ and harming the church of Christ. And you beware because pollution of the church will bring about the hand of God. I like the word pollution here actually. If any man pollutes the temple of God. A lot of you have been to our house and you know I have a little... Uh, he shed, I don't know what they call them back there, a little man cave, whatever, by, in our backyard, eight by eight cabin. Supposedly a playhouse for the kids. I'm back there most of the time. I'm playing with the trucks and stuff like that. But I also study the Bible and pray. I love that place back there. It's, uh, it's my little sanctuary, so to, so to speak, to be with God in a special way. So I, I go back there. But once in a while, about once a year, some kind of critter crawls underneath my shed and dies. And he, it starts to stink. And after a while, it is so stinky and so polluted that I only have two options. I can send Marsha under the cabin to get the critter out. <laughs> that has never played out well. Or I can quit going out there, which is what I do because it stinks too badly. It's, been, it's, my, it's my sanctuary of sorts, my special place with God but it's too stinky to go out there, too polluted to go out there. That's exactly what he's talking about right here. Here is the sanctuary of God, the people of God, the church, the local church. And he's saying to these people as a local church, he is saying, look, if you pollute the local church, then it ceases to be what God wants it to be, and therefore it is ruined. Okay? You know, if you don't know these things... Let me, let me draw it back a little bit. If you don't know these things, then you won't live as God wants you to live. If you are rich and you don't know it, then it doesn't do you any good, does it? What if you were extremely talented musically and you don't know it? You've got great rhythm, a wonderful voice, whatever, but you don't know it. You never use it. You never take advantage of it. What if you were brilliant and didn't know it? Well... I've wondered sometimes, I, mean, I get kind of crazy thoughts, but I wonder sometimes, you know, everybody compares anybody to Einstein, right? You know, somebody smarter than Einstein, not as smart as Einstein. He's always been the standard for, for many, many generations. Well, you know, I've often thought, what if the most brilliant person that ever walked the planet is living in a primitive jungle somewhere in the Amazons? And nobody ever knew that he was brilliant, and he didn't know he was brilliant. He could solve some of the greatest medical mysteries of our time, but he doesn't know that. Is that possible? Well, I don't know. I just kind of like to fantasize about silly things like that. But if you don't know it, you can't use it, right? What if you did not know? Now, let's come back to the scriptures. What if you did not know that the church is the temple of God? How would you live? Well, you would live even as a Christian as if the church is a throwaway. I can do my devotion. I can worship God on my own. I can hunker down with my family and my closest friends. I can be involved in a parachurch women's ministry over here, a parachurch men's ministry over there, but, and I'd be all fine. But what if you, that, that's only true if you did not know what this verse of Scripture teaches. That it is the church, the local church, that, that, the, that the Lord Jesus says in particular is the sanctuary of God. That will change the way you live your Christian life. That'll change the way you expend your energies for Him. That'll change your attitude towards the people of God. That'll change everything. But if you do not know, then you live by the ways, even those who love Christ in really strong ways. We need to know these things.
It says here that the Lord will destroy such a person that would mar or destroy or pollute the, the temple of God. You know, I've been around a long time as a pastor now, and I could uh, tick off to you name after name after name, church after church after church, of people that this has happened to. Some individual wanting their own way, somebody marring the church of Christ, somebody polluting the church of Christ, thinking they're getting away with something, thinking they're, they're winning the day, only to find out in the long run that the Lord moved in and marred their lives. And I could tell you names and examples of people on and on and on whose lives have been destroyed in this sense because they have ignored what the scripture teaches because they did not know. What didn't they know? Not only that the, the, the church is the temple of God, but that it is holy. It's holy. It's set apart for Him. They didn't know it, or they didn't believe it, or they didn't want to believe it, and the Lord took action because of that. Let's take a final thought here at application, verse 17. He goes on and he says this, For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Holy means set apart. Holiness is, uh, is a term always connected with God. We talk about the holy land. It's his land, the holy church, the holy Bible, because it's his Bible. So the temple of God is holy because of who, uh, who make it up, the, the temples of God, the people of God. As we think of the Christian church, we find, of the Corinthian church, we find that hard to believe, don't, it? don't we? It says they are holy. How holy are these people? Thirteen different times Paul points out a major issue of sin in their lives and doctrines. And yet he says, you are holy. They weren't holy in behavior, but they were holy in position. The Lord had set them apart for himself as a holy people. The issue is, are they going to live up to it? There's the issue. Believers are holy no matter how they act because of their association with God. It's not a result of something that we have done, but something that the Lord has done for us, set us apart. If you were born into a, a royal family, they would expect you to act like royalty. None of, us, none of us had a choice of the family we were born into, right? I mean, I was born a gilly. Uh, I didn't get a chance when I was uh, still in the womb to say, you know, I think I'd rather be a smith. Or, or maybe I'd like to be part of the English royalty. What could go wrong there? Yeah? I didn't get that choice. Uh, I, I am what I am. My, my, my job now is to live out the best I can as a ghillie. This much more in depth here, you are a, you're, you're a temple, you're a sanctuary of God. Your, your calling now is to live that out, to live out that name, that honor, that purpose that the Lord has given us. When we realize we're holy in the eyes of God and that we make up the temple of God, then we, it will be our desire to live holy lives, right? You know, the most difficult thing mentioned here is uh, this issue of God will destroy him. As I mentioned earlier, the idea is not annihilation, but wrecking their lives. God's church is very important to him. He does not uh, appreciate those who would do anything but progress, uh, move forward his holiness, his honor, his glory. Isn't it a shame how often uh, situations in, in our world right now, churches and whatnot, uh, are uh, polluting the name of God? We tried to help a church several years ago in the Midwest that uh, was having problems, and as we tried to look into their life, what we found out is they had, in that neighborhood, in that community, had such a poor reputation 
They didn't have a reputation for being a lighthouse. They didn't have a reputation for being godly. They didn't have a reputation for the sweet love of Christ. They had a reputation for fighting. And the whole community knew it. And the first thing we tried to do was rebrand that church. We were unsuccessful in trying to do that. The church had been marred. The church had been polluted by self-centered people who did not seem to know that the church is holy, set apart for God and for the worship of Him. You probably have heard the little ditty, the church of Christ is not damaged so much by the woodpeckers on the outside as by the termites on the inside. Let's not be spiritual termites. Let's be holy. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you now for the church of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the the temple, the sanctuary of God. And Lord, we uh, pray today as we think about these things that uh, what, what an unbelievable, indescribable privilege it is to be part of uh, your temple, your sanctuary, a body of people that love you and serve you. That, that's beyond imagination. Lord, whatever I'm away from, even this church, uh, I, I long for it. I need it so desperately. Thank you for it. Thank you, Father, for these people here who've come today. And I pray, Lord, that the word of your truth will touch each heart where it needs to be. And I especially thank, Lord, of those that might be here and are not Christians. They're not part of the church because they're not part of you. They are yet separated from you. They need Christ. Lord, may this day be the day they look deep into their own hearts, confess their sins, repent, and turn to you by faith alone for salvation. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.